0: Get everybody reintroduce to everybody, uh, everybody's names, and then uh, we'll dive in. Sound good? Cool. God, thanks so much for today. Uh, thanks for these men and women um, who are given their uh, Wednesday morning to talk about spiritual warfare. God, I pray that uh, they would um, be blessed for their time, that it would be an encouragement and, and, and helpful. God, I pray that you would bless uh, us as we study your word. Protect us from the enemy in every way they would come against us or anyone we love or cherish. I pray that your hand would rest on this place, that your peace would, uh, would reign, and, uh, God, that you'd give each of us whatever it is that we need most um, today from you, um, from your word, and that you would uh, strengthen us and uh, increase our affection for you as we see just your amazing power over the enemy and uh, the wisdom that your word gives us on how to best uh, fight against what they're doing in our world and in our churches. So uh, may we be protected and blessed and strengthened in every way for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Awesome. All right, let me get uh, introductions again and some, see some new faces so I can get uh, an idea of who I'm talking with. Jake, you want to kick us off? Yeah, uh, Jake and Sweeney. Um, so name, what what church or what you do, and uh, yeah, and why you're excited to be here. Uh, yeah. Why you're Why you're here? Um, in, in between ministries at the moment, but um, I've been through Daniel. Awesome, cool, we're glad to have you in. Sammy? I'm Sammy Ramos, I'm planting sister in church in the Maryland area of Houston,
1: and uh, finishing resident with HCPN. Awesome. Chris Quinto, I am uh, also with HCPN, uh, planning a church project in the Kingwood
0: area. Cool, is that connected with the one up north? Yeah. Okay, cool, awesome. Yeah, my name's Tyler, I'm a finishing resident
1: My name's Guy and I'm also in the residency and plant.
0: Well, I'm excited you guys are, are here. I'm honored to get to talk about this topic, and I hope it'll be helpful. And I have like a good 180 degrees uh, to turn here, uh, so I apologize to me have my back um, some of the time. So, um, a little bit about me. Um, some I know some of you guys. Um, some of you all I've just met in passing, but I'm one of the pastors at Hope Church. We actually meet in this neighborhood in Jersey Village. At a, there's a Presbyterian church uh, that we meet there Sunday nights. Uh, just down Senate Avenue, and my office is on the other side of this building, so I had a good 30-second commute here, and that was nice. Um, I grew up in the Clear Lake area, not too far from uh, Clear Creek, um, and uh, God saved me young and uh, through college and some uh, really good uh, teaching, discipleship through that, really started to grow um, through that and was in the business world for a couple years and then um, had some uh, various uh, pastoral internships and ended up. Uh, then being a part of Hope as we planted a little over six years ago. And uh, so uh, spent some time in D.C. at Capitol Hill Baptist and then uh, came back down here uh, to plant with Peter, who Jake referenced, our, who's my uh, fellow uh, pastor uh, at Hope. And we have been going on for six years. And w- the goal that we had was to be an authentic representation of biblical Christianity. What we meant by that is just we wanted to try to, as best we could, strip away what we could tell was our preconceived notions or things from our past traditions and things like that and as much as possible let the word just drive what we did so everything from how we a- approach preaching and church membership church discipline spiritual gifts and spiritual warfare uh, we wanted to just say not what is our you know conservative uh context automatically kind of put us in a box but what does the scripture teach and and how can we walk that out faithfully uh and so uh, we wanted uh in that spirit spiritual warfare to be a uh, biblically practiced and normative in our church, and so we've even structured that into our membership process and how we uh, think about that, and I'll talk more about that as we go. Uh, how I got into this ministry of, of where I would be asked by Chad to, to come talk about spiritual warfare is uh, my, about nine or ten years ago, uh, I met Peter, who was a Sunday school teacher at the church we were going to and uh, also was a, was a missionary for years uh, in Africa, and uh, my wife was going through some undiagnosed physical stuff and some really weird things that and uh, my mother-in-law by chance met him, described her situation and he offered to meet with us to pray. Uh, at the same time I had been researching theologically the, uh, the idea of spiritual warfare because I was open to it but didn't really ever hear it taught on and so I had stumbled upon some of the same uh, resources that'll, that'll be at the end of your notes uh, including Clinton Arnold's book that uh, we found is really good which was the same type of stuff that Peter was using in his dissertation as he was uh, working on uh, spiritual warfare dissertation, and so uh, all that to say, he prayed with my wife. There was some demonic stuff messing with her that was causing uh, some of those issues, and saw a dramatic shift right after that. And so I, all the stuff I've been studying theologically, I just saw practically walk out, and I was I was I was sold. And uh, and so from there, I really dove into studying uh, and equipping in that area. Have been ministering in this area um, for, since about a year from that point. So coming on eight or nine years uh, at this point, and uh, we're just really passionate about other churches getting. Uh, equipped as best we can, be a blessing uh, to uh, the, the body of Christ. We, we just see so much fruit in our ministry of people seeing uh, freedom and uh, transformation from areas where the enemy was really uh, waylaying them and getting to see them have freedom has been really powerful. And we've seen a lot of richness in our church. Uh, discipleship-wise uh, since then. And so uh, that's that's what we're, we're, we're passionate about. So I'm hopeful that we can be a blessing in some way to kind of help you in your journey uh, as pastors. So some fears you might have, um, you know, uh, you know, you might be a little skeptical of me if, if we've not met or, or things like that. So just I want to encourage you to let the scriptures uh, prove this to you, let the scriptures convince you. Um, might be, you know, there's often a fear of like, I don't want to overemphasize this, and this becomes something that Like, all we think about is spiritual warfare. I just want to encourage you, we haven't had that experience. I think if you teach really balanced and uh, weight things according to the way Scripture does, you can really uh, press in uh, to just a normal Christianity. Um, There's often fear of, like, I don't know if I want to press into spiritual warfare because I'm going to get hit. I'm going to get attacked even harder. I just want to encourage you, the fact that you're a church planter involved in local church ministry, you're already getting attacked, uh, probably more than you realize. And so my hope is that I can just be a blessing of giving you some more tools uh, to fight. And then often, in our context, I know that I battle this as well, it's just fear of what people might think if you start talking about demons or uh, fighting against uh, the demonic, you know. And I just want to encourage you, Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And I think that idea of, I just want to challenge you to what if you become convinced by the scriptures of something that you would not let any of our cultural baggage that could be associated with being faithful to that that scripture hold you back uh, from going after uh, faithfulness to the Lord in that area. So uh, I open I want to open up just with some rhetorical questions of how you would minister to these types of people uh, in this situation. And I I referenced uh, similar examples last month, um, but I want to reference them again. Um, because I think it it, it illustrates, I think, just how common some of this stuff is that we don't often ascribe to the demonic. So how would you deal with a six-year-old boy who is dealing with uncontrollable rage, uh, suicidal thoughts, has effeminate mannerisms that started when he was three or four. Uh, His parents are telling you that there are crosses on the wall that have been ceramic crosses that are getting turned upside down uh, that are too high for that kid to reach. So He's not the one that's done it overnight. You know, what do you do if that, if that couple comes to you and says, help me? What do I do with my, you know, six-year-old son? Or what about the godly guy in your congregation who you know is going after Jesus with everything he can? Like he's not, he's not sitting on the sidelines, but and yet he's just getting beat by a stronghold. He's, got a, he's gripped by pornography, and he's, he's fighting against it. He's in the word. He's in prayer. He's confessing. He's got covenant eyes. He's got all those different things that guys do to try to fight that, and yet he just cannot get free. Uh, what, how would you counsel that guy? If if he's in your church and you're discipling him, he's in your small group, what do you do with that guy? You know, what about the kind of the missional mom, right? Like who's on mission ministering throughout her neighborhood and she's pouring in to tons of people. She's ministering to her kids' friends and she's just uh, starting Bible studies, just doing amazing things. And yet she, like my wife and what I described, is just constantly hounded by these undiagnosed illnesses and physical conditions. And they all started after she had gotten back from a mission trip. Uh, in Africa like what, what do you do with a, a mom? what do you tell that that woman's husband when he comes to you in tears and says help my, my what can I do with my wife the doctors don't know what's wrong we can't figure this out she's got this she's just always tired and beaten down and we don't know what to do and it's restricting her ministry that she's that she's got and what about you as a, as a faithful minister of the gospel uh, you know, what if you're, you know, in your first year of your church plant, and all of a sudden your kids start having nightmares every night at the same time, and they're all about the same type of thing, or every time uh, you try to invite somebody over to minister, or engage, your house is like a war zone, and things just explode and go crazy, and it's just too, it's just too coincidental, right? They're just too coincidental the way it happens. What do you, what do you do with that? Like, how do you process that? And and, and I, I would say that once we've exhausted all the the uh, things that the, that are conservative evangelical. A context would uh, tell us to try uh, doctors, therapists, reading the Bible more, being in another accountability group, um, then what? Like, do we just have to get to this point where it's like, well, this is just a fallen world. We're going to just, this is just our lot. We're going to stick uh, and just suffer through this. Well, maybe, I mean, absolutely. We need to be willing to suffer for the name of Jesus. First Peter four tells us that we should expect to do that. But what if we're missing the source of the issue? Uh, what if the, the we're, it's it's not that this is something the Lord has wants us to walk through for a season. But what if it's that we're just trying to treat cancer with a bandaid? What if we're, we're aiming at something that isn't the root cause of the issue? Uh, and what if the issue is, in fact, demonic uh, and we could be dealing with it in a biblical way and we're not? And that's why I'm here uh, today. I, I'm, I'm just so passionate about seeing believers equipped to fight. Uh, for their people, for their churches, for their own uh, lives, so that we can see the kingdom of God advanced in power. Uh, And that's what I'm really uh, passionate about. So uh, this is the second of my three-parter that I'm going to do this spring. Uh, Last month, I talked um, about just a basic theology of spiritual warfare, just trying to paint the picture of this is really normative in Scripture, and it's really normal in our Christian life. And so we need to be aware that we're often we're in a battle we don't know we're fighting. and We're getting whipped in a battle we don't know we're fighting. If you didn't get to hear that, um, I, I know Chad and Micah have that. Uh, I think they tweeted it out on a on a SoundCloud, so I would encourage you to grab that if you would. It's going to have a lot of the background that I'm going to kind of presuppose today, so I apologize if you're if you're coming in today and you didn't hear that, um, and you may have some questions that would have been answered in that talk, so um, just give me the benefit of the doubt uh, in, in those areas, and, and maybe pull me aside afterwards. I can try to catch you up, um, but um, I'm going to try to kind of give a quick summary of what I talked about last time, and then dive right in so I can get you some more content. So I want to think about the biblical norm uh, that we have uh, in Uh, scripture. Oh, before to do that, so for today, what I'm actually going to talk about um, is I want to look at a biblical theology of demons and how they can affect our churches, okay? That's basically what I want to look at, and then next month, I'm going to get even more practical with how what are ways you can practically fight, uh, including talking a little bit about deliverance and things like that? So that's where we're going, and then I'm aiming to go for about 30 minutes more from right now, and then spend the rest of the time doing Q and A. So hopefully, um, if you could just write down your questions as we're going, I'll have uh, some extended time. So if you would turn to Ephesians 6, start where we started last time, I just could just to paint the picture of the biblical norm of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6, verse 10 through 12, and I'm going to kind of go fast, so I apologize in advance. And some of this should be in your notes, so. Uh, if you miss anything it it should be there finally be strong in the lord and in the strength of his might put on on the whole armor of god that you may be, be may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood but against the rulers against the authorities against the cosmic powers over this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places so it's right away paul is is reframing our thinking and showing that Yes, we do battle against uh, flesh and blood in some sense, but ultimately what we really need to be focused on is fighting against the enemy. That's actually our true battle. Uh, so uh, often we are only focusing on flesh and blood issues, on the flesh and on the things around us and, and are often neglecting the enemy. But Paul would not make such a, uh, a mistake. So 2 Corinthians 2, 2 Corinthians 2, uh, verse uh, 9. For this is why I wrote that I might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I've forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his design. So Paul is so confident that he has an idea of how the, the enemy is working, that he says, I'm not ignorant of Satan design, Satan's design. And I don't know about you, but I often feel like I'm ignorant of Satan's designs, and I'm not content to be uh, to stay there. I'm not content to stay where Paul seems to be somewhere that I don't, I'm not there yet. And so I'm begging the Lord to move me forward and to open up my eyes to see uh, how I can better war against the enemy and also trusting that if that's where Paul was then, there's, then maybe his word, uh, the word that, that God has given Paul and given us uh, would have more uh, in it than we might presume on how to make war against the enemy and know his schemes. So 1 uh, Thessalonians uh, 2 uh, starting in uh, verse 17 Uh, Paul is talking about how much he misses them and he says we wanted to see you uh, in verse 18 come to you I Paul again and again but Satan hindered us and then he goes on to talk about other what you are joy and our glory and we loved you but he just he's telling them hey guys I missed you so much I wanted to come see you couldn't do it because Satan hindered us and I just love you all so much and just like drops this uh, forward bomb and then keeps moving and I don't know about you but like it's so hard for me to imagine a pastor standing up on stage and say, we're gonna do this building program, but Satan hindered us, so now we're not going to. We're gonna start a home group and that's in that's that neighborhood, but Satan hindered us, so we're not going to anymore. Like, none of us do that. And if they did, like I would imagine there's gonna to have to be some emails, there's gonna be some like follow-ups, like, what did you mean by that, right? But Paul just drops that bomb and just keeps going because they already had presumably a theological framework. They were tracking with him, they knew what he meant by that. And it also shows the fact that we see in these passages that Satan has schemes that Satan is actively warring against us uh, as Christians. And so we need to be able to identify those schemes and push back against them in this war as we seek to advance the kingdom of God uh, and and glorify his name. So a couple other uh, components of the New Testament. All New New Testament authors reference Satan or demons. Not in every book, but in every author they reference at least some mention of Satan uh, or demons. And so it just continues to paint this picture of spiritual warfare as just a normative thing. Uh, in our lives as Christians, and so what I want to think about is what does it mean to walk in a healthy biblical view of spiritual warfare for each of us as Christians? Uh, You know, how do we go from just like we get there, okay, I get a a healthy theology of spiritual warfare, now how do I practically wage war against the enemy uh, in my daily life? So today um, I want to outline the different types uh, in scripture we see of demonic spirits and then give some basic pointers on how to fight them and then next time i want to get even more practical uh, advice on how to biblically uh, wage war against them so okay. Um, I'm going to start with the idea of cosmic level spirits, and then I'm going to go into ground level spirits. Cosmic level spirits are the, much, uh, the, the bigger ones that we generally don't deal with directly, and ground level is more the stuff that you're probably uh, presuming you're, you're familiar with. So let me start with the cosmic level stuff and uh, give you guys a framework for that, and then we'll get, spend a lot more time uh, in the ground level area. So uh, there's three types we see in scripture of cos- what we call cosmic level spirits, these larger spirits. Um, we would see um, territorial spirits, institutional spirits, and religion spirits. Now, we're using those terms just to try to identify what we see. We obviously don't have uh, those terms uh, built out. We don't have a uh, a systematic theology textbook here. But um, when we think about territorial spirits, what we're thinking about is the demons that are responsible for certain geographic areas. We see this most explicitly in Daniel chapter 10. Uh, I want to turn there and look at that uh, together. So if you want to go to Daniel 10, uh, verse 12, so Daniel has been praying and fasting uh, along with his uh, other companions. And then he sees this vision of an angel um, come down and and starts uh, speaking to him. And we pick it up uh, in verse uh, 12, where he says, uh, then then he, talking about the angel, said to me, Daniel, fear not, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand and humbled yourself before God, your words have been heard. And I have come because of your words. The prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me 21 days. But Michael, one of the chief princes, came to help me. For I was left there with the king of Persia and came to make you understand what is to happen for your people in the latter days. For this uh, vision uh, is for the days to come. And then drop down to verse uh, 20. Then he said, do you not know? Uh, why I have come to you, but now I return to this angel talking to Daniel. But now I return to fight against the prince of Persia. And when I go out, behold, the prince of Greece will come. But I tell you that what is inscribed in the book of truth, there is none who contends by my side except against these, except Michael, your prince. Probably not a passage you hear frequently preached uh, in your context. But what we see seem to see here is Daniel's praying, an angel appears to him says, hey, I heard your prayers a long time ago when you started praying, but I've been fighting with the prince of Persia to try to get here uh, to, to, to give you this message. So I don't know. I, I don't can't conceive of a, of a human prince being able to obstruct a massive angel from going from point A to point B, and so the, the clear implication is that this prince is, uh, is a demonic um, spirit that is set over the pl- area of Persia, just like we see at the end of the chapter that there would be a demonic spirit in the same nature over the, pr- the prince of Greece, that would be presumably over the people group of Greece, and then they're also seemingly pointing to the idea that Michael was your prince. Michael was the prince over the people of I- Israel, so in other words, there's this high-level angel who is protecting Israel, and then there's high-level demons that is trying to Uh, To to, uh, cause issue uh, in a particular geographic region. Um, So that's what we mean when we're talking about a territorial spirit. Is that spirit in Daniel 10, that prince of Persia, that prince of Greece, that would be presumably overseeing Satan's work in that geographic area trying to cause as much havoc as possible, trying to keep out the gospel, all those um, components. So um, we see uh, in in Ephesians 6, 12 um, when it talks about the rulers, cosmic powers, the, the authorities, all those things, almost all scholars believe that that is a hierarchy of demons that there's there's a hierarchy of demons and we do see that there's clearly an angel uh hierarchy because michael's called an archangel and so we see that there's an idea that there's at least levels in that typically we see the demonic try to mirror what the kingdom of god does which would make sense in a a military context or even if you think about sports like if there's five basketball players on the court on that team you're going to mirror that with five more uh, to, to go against them um, and so we see uh, this idea that there are um, hierarchies of, of demons and angels and that there are uh, in, included in that hierarchy Some in some, some point is the idea that there are some over certain geographic areas so uh, the ne- that's the first cosmic level spirit uh, that we see in scripture. The next is institutional spirits if you see in Revelation 2 and 3 uh, it's the uh, the letters are addressed to the angel over the church at Philadelphia, Lausadia, and all those different places. And uh, sometimes commentators will say, oh, that must mean the pastor or whatever. But I, I think if you just read it for what it says, uh, it says the angel over that, that church, which would go in line with there being angels over certain geographic areas and also potentially angels assigned to protect certain uh, institutions like the church at Lausadia, the church at Philadelphia. And because we've seen the demonic tends to mirror the angelic, it's, uh, I don't think, a very far stretch to presume that there would be a demon assigned to attack each of those institutions. So there would be a demonic spirit who would be assigned to attach, attack that church of Philadelphia and try to cause uh, the things uh, that are there. Um, take this for whatever it's worth, but for people that I know that have that 1 Corinthians 12 discerning of spirits gifting where they can sense demonic presence and they can kind of discern even what what spirits are in those places and i know that even as i'm talking i, I know that this is probably not uh, a normal conversation you have but um, those i talk to those guys and they'll say that they can walk into a church and they can just kind of discern as they walk in they can kind of feel okay this church I feel a really strong move of the Lord here, but I also can feel uh, fear or anger. Like they can kind of just sense the types of things that perhaps that church would be struggling with. And I've heard stories of them sharing that with the pastor of the church. And they're like, oh yeah, that's actually exactly what we've been dealing with, that that type of thing. And so then they're alerted to be able to pray, Lord, please protect us from fear, protect us from anxiety, anything that the enemy's trying to do in that area. So that's institutional um, spirits. So those would be um, cosmic level spirits that are assigned to try to cause issue in a particular institution. So a church and a Christian organization, things like that. Uh, potentially even secular organizations and uh, things like that, depending on how far you want to apply the principle. Um, and then the third is through religious uh, spirits, religion spirits. So we would uh, see that if you think back to last month, we talked about the idea there's only two kingdoms in conflict, the kingdom of God and the kingdom of Satan. So when, in, when you're not worshiping Jesus, the kingdom of God, it doesn't matter what so-called faith system it is it's ultimately worshiping satan it's, it's his kingdom that you're worshiping and so we think that uh and every other false religion uh, is ultimately being perpetuated and, and led by a demon that's masquerading as that uh that spirit over uh that religion you see this uh seem to be evidence in first corinthians 10 uh deuteronomy 32 where it talks about the demons you sacrifice I mean, when you sacrifice to the idols, you're actually sacrificing to the demons associated or behind those idols. And so when they're sacrificing to Baal, presumably there is a demon that's calling himself that name who is being worshipped in that situation. Uh, You see that throughout the Old Testament, throughout uh, those uh, passages that seem to link very explicitly idol worship with uh, demon worship. And then you ask the practical question about the Old Testament. Why in the world would all these pagan nations be so supposedly worshiping these false idols if they weren't actually having some kind of spiritual power, some kind of result happening um, in result to their worship and serving of those uh, false gods? And so I think it's very uh, it's very. Uh, quick for us to just presume okay yeah that it was probably just fake nothing but I think that if you have a, a worldview that's saturated by the scriptures it doesn't make sense that they would have served uh, those other gods if there wasn't some spiritual power associated with that worship uh, which the scripture seems to indicate there were. Um, so as, that's the three types of cosmic global spirits that we see territorial institutional and religion spirits that are over those uh, different components and um, we often get the question how do you fight against those type and these are not we're not we would not encourage you to go around and uh, just start trying to command cosmic level spirits to do anything Uh, we uh, from what we can see in scripture um, this is not something that would um, be encouraged or recommended there's even some passages that seem to indicate if you look in Jude uh, Zechariah and maybe 2nd Peter where it seems to indicate that uh, you would want to pray to the Lord rather than directly go after a cosmic level spirit where in the book of Jude it says the Michael uh Michael the archangel was contending with Satan for the body of Moses which have fun preaching that one sometime right but um he's but it says that Michael said to Satan the Lord rebuke you he didn't even say directly he didn't even go after Satan as an archangel commanding Satan to do something who we would include Satan as as the largest cosmic level spirit um but Uh, So then for us, we would take that principle and say, we're not going to talk directly to them. We're going to pray blessings, pray to the Lord, ask the Lord to move, but not go directly at them. So instead we're fighting basically just through normal kingdom advancing ministry, uh, fighting through repentance of sin, fighting through evangelism, discipleship, church planting, being faithful as a Christian, trying to see the gospel um, expand and uh, explode in an area. And then through prayer, through praying to God, not commanding to to a demon, uh, a level demon to do anything, but asking God push back that, uh, that spirit, weaken the spirits that are over the city of Houston, God, weaken the spirits over the city of Richmond, if you're about to plant there, but not to go, hey, spirit of Richmond, I'm going to command you uh, to leave or anything like that. So uh, we would just encourage you to, to use a lot of discretion there. And uh, and generally, it's going to be praying to the Lord. That's, that's generally what it is, being faithful, praying to the Lord, and not going directly at this. So ground level. Spirits, that's what we're calling basically the stuff we largely deal with day-to-day as believers. So types of ground-level warfare, we, we would conclude just demons that are roaming freely, demons attached to buildings or objects, uh, or uh, demons attached to people, uh, demonization. And that's what I want to spend a good bit of time talking about today, the idea of demons that can be attached to people. Uh, what is often translated demon possession uh, in Scripture is the Greek word demonizomai. It literally means someone has a demon— uh, which would imply uh, influence, attachment, um, as opposed to possession, which in English would imply ownership and complete and total uh, control. So we actually, um, and, uh, and scholars are growingly uh, cu- moving away from the translation demon possessed for the word demonizomai and uh, going into the word uh, demonization, just the transliteration of uh, which would imply influence or attachment, but not complete ownership and the reason for that uh, in addition to just the greek translation is that we don't actually see any examples in scripture that would seem to be in line with complete ownership in the way that we typically mean possession when we say it in english so that word typically connotates so i'm going to show you the example of mark five the first uh, first verse of mark five we see the uh, this this guy who arguably has to be the strongest instance of demonizami of demonization that we see in scripture and i want you to see that even in this instance he seems to maintain some sort of self-control uh, or will ability to do stuff that the demons may not have wanted him to do. So they came to the other side of the sea, to the con- count, uh, country of Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs and no one could bind him any anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains. But he rinsed the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day, among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and uh, cutting himself with stones. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him. And then the demon manifests, cries out, starts doing a thing, and Jesus eventually drives it away into the pigs, and the pigs run over the cliff. Okay, what is important to notice is in verse 6, and when he saw Jesus from afar. Okay, so this really crazily, strongly demonized man, he's probably like a 12 out of 10 on the demonization scale. Sees Jesus from a distance. As soon as he gets there, you see that the demons attached to this guy knew who Jesus was. And they were like, please don't, don't make us leave. So they knew Jesus is bad news. We don't want to deal with Jesus. So if they were completely possessed him to the sense where he was completely owned, completely controlled, and had no ability, then why would he have seen him from afar and ran and dove at the feet of Jesus? That to me seems like an instance of, I know he's my help. I want help. I'm, go- I'm gonna overpower what is being told to me, what the the influence this demonic stuff has on me. I want freedom. Uh, from this situation, and so even in the most intense uh, example we see of demonization, there seems to be that ability that would undercut the possession word, where it's like we're completely owned uh, and taken. And so we would encourage you to think about that that Greek word "daimonizomai," where it's always translated demon possession or demon oppression, uh, and, and replace it with demonization, which would imply attachment or influence. A good uh, metaphor of this is ticks on a dog. So if the demons are the ticks. And we're the dog, like if there's, a, uh, if there's ticks attached to the dog, they don't possess the dog. They don't own the dog. They don't completely and totally control the dog. But they can have a really negative effect on the dog. They can uh, cause, make the dog sick. They can cause the dog to be uh, more likely to rebel against its master and, and bite uh, the hands of, uh, of the kids that walk by. And just changing owners, like the dog gets a new owner, doesn't mean those ticks are automatically going to be gone. The new owner tends to need to pick off those ticks and clean them up and free them. And so we, we would view that idea of demonization similar to ticks on a dog where any human being can have ticks on the dog any human being can be demonized and it would just be on a, a, a pendulum of 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 strength of the demon where we see the guy in mark 5 is like 10 out of 12, 10 out of 10 and for a believer it could be 1 out of 10 or 2 out of 10 or depending on uh, the level of strength so we act, so we do not think that there is any reason that a christian cannot have what we see described in scripture as demonization, I we think that there can be demons that attach and influence uh, Christians uh, in the sense, not that they possess and own and completely control, but in the sense that they're attached, affiliated with and affecting a Christian in a really negative way. So let me talk about why I think that is. So theologically, uh, first of all, what we've just talked about, I correcting that translation to demonization, not possession. Uh, and so thinking about the idea that we're not saying that they're completely owned by the demon, because obviously we're completely owned by the Holy Spirit when we trust in Christ. Um, And then biblically, um, I think it's easier to suggest that the people that Jesus delivers from demons were believers than non-believers, because we see throughout uh, Scripture, and especially in Hebrews uh, 11, that the Old Testament saints were saved, justified through faith in Yahweh, in in God, and and in his ability to to save them and rescue them. And so, um, and you see even Abraham was justified by faith when he... Was showed, demonstrated. Hey, I'm I'm trusting you, God. I'm leaving. I'm going to go to this promised land that you're promising me. And so, if you take that theological truth and you apply it to those situations where I've this person knows they have a demon attached to them, they've heard about Jesus of Nazareth, and they go down the path to go see if He'll free them. If faith in Jesus is what saves, and salvation means all of a sudden all demons have to just kind of slip off of you like you're covered in in you know oil, then those people shouldn't have ever even gotten to Jesus to get the demons driven away because as soon as they set foot saying I trust that Jesus can free me if that was our logic I think it's, it's fair to say those demons would have been gone before they got to Jesus and how often did Jesus even say your faith is what made you well and then he drove away uh, the spirit so I think that biblically it's easier to argue even though it's not a conclusive argument I think it's, it's stronger to argue that those people were trusting in Jesus than that they weren't and then historically we have Uh, For whatever it's worth, the process of the early church, Hippolytus has a document called Apostolic Tradition uh, that he wrote in 215 A.D., a church historian, and he outlines the church membership process, which is pretty fascinating. The whole document is is pretty wild, but what is interesting about it is that when uh, someone was saved, they would spend time counseling them on the the truths of Christianity and on on turning from their sins. Then they would do a deliverance, and then they would baptize them. Uh, And so they had this understanding that a believer needs to be, have their mind renewed, needs to have the demonic stuff renounce and move, and then, then they're baptized and they're showing that, hey, you've really turned from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. And so you just see this idea that even in the early church, there was a presupposition that demons um, could affect. People, so some uh, I'll go into some more biblical uh, examples of of how we think um, demonization can happen. But let me talk about maybe just some examples of what it could look like, Um, because if we think about the devil's schemes, we want to be aware of the ways that he could attack. Uh, In the West, what we often see is that I mean, in the East, in non-Western countries, we typically see that the greatest lie from the enemy is that. Uh, he's stronger than Jesus. And that's why we see uh, these seizures, the head nodding, the spontaneous running, the grinding of teeth, other very physical manifestations, Hollywood type stuff, things you'd see uh, in a Hollywood movie. That would make sense if you're trying to pr- pr- pretend that you're stronger than Jesus, that you'd want to look that way. But in the West, I think that his, uh, his greatest strategy is that he wants to make us think he doesn't exist. And so it would make sense for him to, o- to operate <laughs> under the radar in more subtle ways, where I think common signs of demonization in the West would see things were... You've got physical issues, undiagnosed physical issues that the doctors don't know what to do with or emotional issues where you've got consuming, uh, persistent, overwhelming emotion depression or guilt or spiritual stuff where you're having nightmares all the time or having uh, strongholds that are too gripping to conquer like pornography or uh, hate or uh, having a cloudy mind in worship, feeling like every time you go to pray or to read your word, you feel like you just get. Uh, Cloudy-minded, you can't think straight. You feel like there's like a glass ceiling on your ability to uh, to worship God or connect with Him. Um, feeling that restriction of growth in Christ, and and it's typical in the West that we tend to try to fight against those types of things through therapists, counselors, uh, specialists, things like that. I and mean, if that's what the root cause was—physical or emotional or or biological—then that would be the right way to do it. But that's not helpful if the root cause is demonic. And so we want to, as I talked about last month, have that good balance of the, of the world, the flesh, and the devil, and taking all those into the account uh, as we're processing through that. So as we look at Scripture, uh, we see four areas that uh, people can be opened up to demonization, where four causes of demonization that we think um, the Scriptures would point to. The first is through habitual or grievous sin. Ephesians four twenty six and 27 says, Be angry and do not sin, but let the sun go down in your anger, lest you give the devil a foothold. Um the Greek word there is uh for foothold is toposia it's the word we get topography it's uh given the idea you're giving the enemy uh land and, and uh area a region of who you are of your of your life and uh giving him uh access to that and so it's an issue of allegiance so you're saying for the Christian in Ephesians 4 you're saying Jesus you have my allegiance in all of these areas except for anger in anger I'm unknowingly giving allegiance to Satan Satan's like great I'll take that allegiance I'll attack attach a demon to you to perpetuate that anger and see whatever, what else that I can mess with um, while I'm there and so uh, Charles Kr- Kraft likens this to rats and garbage it's like if you had a trash can that was just overflowing with putrid garbage uh, you're naturally going to see rats att- attracted to that so if you've got unrepentant sin and you've got sin that goes into the next day and the next day the sun's going down your anger or your lust or your fear whatever it is it, it's oh, it's just the trash begins to overflow rats are going to come. Now, you can go after the rats all you want, but if, until you empty the trash, uh, those rats are going to keep coming back. So what you need to do is empty the trash, and then put out rat traps, and then you're going to be in a good spot. And so if you think about that for demonization, it's if, if somebody's got a demon that's attached to them that's perpetuating a particular sin, what the solution is is not simply just to try to drive away the demon that's causing uh, them to be more susceptible to anger, but it's to deal with their anger issue, repent of that, and then drive away whatever demon may be adding to that battle uh, to see lasting change. And so you can see even there the overlap of the flesh and the, and the enemy where you need to battle the flesh and, and our sinful nature, even as you're potentially, uh, there's a demonic component involved. So common spirits that we have encountered uh, in this kind of component would be things like fear or anxiety, or lust. Um, the reason we use terms like that to kind of define the spirit by what it's perpetuating is um, you see it in several instances of scripture doing the same thing. Mark 9 says that it calls something a mute and deaf spirit. Luke 13 calls it a disabling spirit. Luke's, I mean, Acts 16 says it's a spirit of divination. So it's saying the thing that it's causing is what we're identifying it as. Uh, we get questions about that often. That's why we um, do that. And so um, spirits can, in this realm can cause physical issues and, and problems in addition to whatever potentially opened the door for their presence in the first place. So that's the first. The second uh, is through curses. Um, A curse, we would consider the opposite of a blessing. So a blessing, may he be blessed in the name of Jesus with uh, joy. That'd be an example of a blessing. A curse would be something pronounced in the name of Satan in the opposite direction. Sam Storms, uh, who's a a pastor and theologian that we love, uh, defines a curse this way. He says, To curse is to call down or send forth from a supernatural source calamity, trouble, chronic harm, Or some other form of adversity upon another person or object. We see an example of this happening uh, in Judges 9. It's a fascinating passage. I encourage you to read. I have it, I think, in your notes um, after the fact. But basically, uh, Jotham, I believe it is, pronounces a curse uh, about that if this happened, then this should happen. And we see in this passage that a demon goes and accomplishes what the curse was pronounced, and, and it happens just like it was pronounced, and, that the, and it says that the demon was what caused it, and so uh, we're seeing a situation where if a curse is pronounced on someone uh, and a demon lands along with that to, uh, to kind of do whatever was pronounced, uh, that's how it can happen, and that's how uh, it can cause issues. We see this especially common overseas with missionaries, people who have been on uh, missions or who have been involved with the occult um, historically, um, and, uh, but we also see it here. We see it with uh, pastors and, and, their, and their children and things like that where um, somebody in the occult, so if you take it to South Sudan, Africa, where we do a lot of ministry, a witch doctor will spend hours in, uh, of a day, nine hours, performing a, a ritual, do a sacrifice of a chicken or a goat uh, to put chronic, a, a curse on somebody. And if it, if it lands, then it lands with that demonization and causes uh, those issues. It's interesting. It happens here, too. I was recently reading an article uh, about in some It was a story about Wicca growing in Austin, and it was just kind of playfully talking about how uh, these witches were great, gaining more mainstream credibility, and they were being solicited by their friends to put cr- hexes or curses or spells uh, on pe- coworkers that were annoying them, things like that, and, and it was kind of playfully talking about it, but it, that's, the, that's what we're seeing here. That's, the, that's what we're talking about, and uh, this is real stuff that uh, the demonic is involved in. Uh, that's a good transition to the third way, involvement with the, the occult. Uh, So this is, again, an an issue of allegiance. So, uh, essentially, this is worshiping any other faith other than Jesus. You're essentially saying, Satan, you are the Lord of my life. You have my allegiance. You have my authority. I'm under your authority. I'm worshiping you. Um, And he's like, great. I'm going to attach... Uh, demons to you to do whatever it is I I most strategically want to do to you, and we see this happen all the time with people who have come out of the occult, um, have a lot of demonic stuff that's messing with them that that we have to uh, pray through with them uh, because of the allegiance that they had to Satan and his ability to attack, Um, and this can happen with even seemingly light or casual participation, like going to a psychic, uh, doing Ouija boards, things like that. Those can open you up um, to demonization uh, through the occult, and then the fourth way is through a generational spirit, and we would see this as any of those first three ways, so habitual or grievous sin, a curse, or involved with the occult, but it's in your parents or grandparents, somewhere in your family line that gets passed down to you, um, and, it, and what we, where we see that principle theologically is in a few different areas that we kind of build this picture that um, would see this, so Exodus 20, you see the idea that generational sin has an effect in some sense on future generations. Now we know from uh, Ezekiel 18 that what that doesn't mean is that we will go to hell because our parents sinned like that we're held responsible for our parents' sin. But we do see very clearly that there can be economic consequences for our parents' or grandparents' sin. There can be social consequences. There can be even physical consequences. There can be a lot of different components. And we think that there's a very strong argument to be made that there can be spiritual consequences in the sense of a demon getting passed down through the authority of the family line. Uh, This could also possibly be evidence where you see the Israelite kings and how they kept walking in the same exact sins of their fathers could be that that was uh what was behind it sure would make sense since they were overtly worshiping in the occult uh and then uh, that their son would do the same thing uh, mark nine uh you'll see the instance where the little boy is getting thrown into the fire and uh the mute uh, i think he i think he was mute and, and that um, interaction and the, the disciples couldn't get rid of the demon so they brought in jesus and he asked the dad of the boy how long has this been happening he said uh since he was uh a little, since he was very young, and, and it could mean that even from birth, it, but uh, the idea was very young child, this d- demonic stuff started happening, and so if you think about those ways that we see in scripture that a demonization could happen, it probably wasn't habitual or grievous sin that this infant or baby kid you know, caused. Uh, it could have been a curse, but it, it also would make more sense that uh, it was generational, something that had been passed down to him that he had been dealing with um, his whole life. And so um, when you look at these four ways that someone can have demonic influence, habitual or grievous sin, involvement with the occult or any faith other than Christianity is what that means, Um, curses, uh, and then through generational stuff in any of those areas, then who among us wouldn't have red flags in our story where there could be possible demonic stuff? Uh, To mess with us. And so that's why we've found that this is such a a widespread thing where um, our people and our churches are dealing with demonization because we've got such, uh, we think, clear areas in scripture where we can be susceptible to it, and we've been for so long not fighting against it. Uh, And so it grieves us, and so we really want to see that shift. So uh, I want to talk about the difference between demonization, where something's attached, uh, versus external attack, which would be just something, a demon is attacking you, but isn't demon it's isn't attached to you doesn't have a legal right to stay um, with you Uh, so demonization we'd say like was is just what i've been talking about there's a demon attached that's trying to perpetuate certain stuff assignment is what we would call what we see like in job one and two where the enemy comes to god and asks permission to attack job in a certain way and god grants him that permission with qualifications so in that sense there is an assignment on job but it doesn't say that job was demonized it said he was being externally attacked um, by demons and so if that's the situation uh, where you're being attacked and being um, externally hit by something, then deliverance, you know, driving demons away isn't going to be what helps. Um, it's But because that demon has just been assigned to go attack you and it's not attached to you in any way. So what in those instances, what we'd recommend is just uh, prayer and fasting and asking Jesus to remove the attack. And, as Job did, praying for relief, asking the Lord uh, to end that as soon as he possibly would and not let them uh, continue hitting you in that way, asking other people to pray for you um, and continuing to just seek to advance the kingdom and be faithful um, even when uh, you're under attack, which um, is difficult to do, but but is um, what we would see in that situation. So you may be going, okay, so I I could either have demonization if I feel like I'm going through spiritual attack or it could just be an external attack. How do I know the difference? It's a great question. Um, So when I I would encourage us, as we're thinking about, I find myself under a really heavy attack. I'm seeing red flags. Um, The first questions I would ask is, have you been walking in unsurrender or unrepentant sin in some area? Is there a way that you could have opened the door to the enemy? Um, Or could you have some red flags in your background, given those four ways? That someone can be demonized? I would think through those areas. And if the answer to those questions is no, uh, then I would also then I would be asking, well, are you seeking to advance the kingdom? Are you trying to walk with Jesus deeply? Uh, and if the answer is yes, then I'm thinking, okay, well, you're probably getting an external attack because you're being effective and the enemy does not like that. And so they're sending something at you if there's other of those red flags. And I'd say there could be some demonization and, and that's something to explore. So kind of what I personally do, just to give you my example, um, when I'm sensing demonic attack against me um, I'll immediately pray against it in the sense of I'll say, Lord, please push back whatever attack I'm feeling. I'm feeling a t- temptation in this area or I'm feeling really oppressed or weighted down in this area. And I'm asking uh, the Lord to move that. I'll then co- I'll then command any ground-level spirits that might be there messing with me to leave me alone and to go away. So in the name of Jesus, I command all ground-level spirits, get away from me. In the name of Jesus, go. In the name of Jesus, go. And I'll do that. And if that doesn't work, I'm texting guys to pray for me. Hey, you know, I'll text my elders. I'll text my uh, home group guys. I'll, I'll text guys and just say, hey, I'm feeling really... A, um, a lot of demonic attack in this area. Could you pray uh, against that for me? So uh, if I start to just have sudden anxiety that's kind of irrational about doing something out of the blue, uh, that's going to get my attention. Hmm, that doesn't feel normal. I, could this be a demonic attack? Guys, we all pray against anxiety for me. I'm dealing with this situation and, and I feel like I could be getting attacked. Or, you know, when I'm about to have Uh, friends over that we're going to try to share the gospel with and all of a sudden my kids start going crazy at home everything's our dishwasher breaks and all this crazy stuff's going on and I'm going man is this is this this just seems too coincidental could this be demonic attack lord please push back this attack whatever this could be and I'm texting guys and asking them to pray or if it was yesterday as I was prepping to do this talk and all of a sudden start feeling sudden out of the blue depression and anxiety uh, and just irrational anger What I did was I texted my elders and said, hey, guys, I'm prepping for my HCPN spiritual warfare talk, and I'm feeling a crazy uh, attack all of a sudden. And they prayed for me, and and it it alleviated over the coming uh, hours. And so that's, um, co- that idea of community is so important. Community can really help us as we have people warring for us, praying for us, praying targetedly against the ways we're being attacked. And also especially helpful if you have friends that have discerning of spirits gifting, like I referenced, where they can sense things in the spiritual, that 1 Corinthians 12 gifting of being able to sense and discern between spirits. Um, some pointers, prayer is always safe. As is commanding ground level spirits in the name of Jesus to leave you alone. That's always good um, to do. Uh, if you haven't had a, a, a ministry time or gone through a time of prayer, if you feel like there could have been some demonization, that's something that is always uh, encouraged. And uh, I can uh, offline can talk more about that. And uh, then also, if you're walking in unsurrender, unrepentant sin, uh, then you got to turn from that. You've got to walk away from that. You got to counsel the person you're discipling if they are walking in that to turn from that. If that's what you think they could be dealing with, uh, and praying through it that way. So continuing to pray, command ground level stuff to leave, process through your heart or the heart of the people you're discipling and look for those red flags. So um, four different levels of prayer that we would see um, when praying against just general demonic attack, and the stuff like we'd see in Job or um, just where a demon is trying to mess with us in some way externally. So the first level is just praying to God, asking for his protection, asking them to send more angels to surround us and protect us and fight for us. So God, please protect me from any attack today. That's the type of prayer level one. Uh, level two would be speaking a blessing. So in the name of Jesus, may I be blessed with peace may, instead of fear. May I be blessed with your rest and your sovereignty. Uh, That's a blessing. So may I be blessed with, in Jesus' name. Uh, Level three would be commanding all ground-level demons to leave uh, where you are. So in the name of Jesus, I command all ground-level spirits in this room to leave. That would be what that would be. Uh, And then level four would be commanding all demons that are present to leave, including cosmic-level spirits, and we would not encourage you to do that. Uh, We would would encourage you not to do level four in uh, directly confronting any potential cosmic level spirits um, that are there. So uh, let me talk a little bit about uh, praying over against free-roaming spirits or praying um, over a space or a building or an object. I think I gave you a handout uh, in your notes that kind of walks through that. Um, we often get people who have some really uh, uh, startling things happening in their homes. Um, they're seeing visions of people hanging and, and dead or they're, Um, they're they're hearing footsteps walking when they know no one's there or they're having uh, just some of like the the ceramic crosses turning upside down those types of things um, happen Um, and so we'll get requests to go pray through a house so that's kind of gives an outline of what we do which is essentially we walk into each room and we we pray blessings over the room and of Jesus may this room be blessed um, to be used for God's glory and those types of things and then we say in the name of Jesus I command any ground level spirits that are in this room, or attached into the objects herein, leave in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Go in Jesus' name. Go. We just do that in each room until we feel it lighten, or we have discerning of spirits people there um, who can uh, sense that those demons have left. And if uh, we feel, and, and then we, we do that until through, all, through the whole house until we feel like it's clear. If they tell us the next day, hey, it doesn't feel like it's done, we'll go back and we'll and we'll try again. Um, uh, so that's the, that's kind of the dynamic there. And so I'd encourage you guys as you're preaching, you know, as you're walking into the sanctuary on Sunday morning you know, and nobody's really in there yet and you're getting ready, I would encourage you to clear out the space. We've had um, stories of uh, guys with discerning of spirits who kind of, w- this guy had, uh, was a friend of my uh, my pastor's, went to a different, uh, he would go, uh, he was like a missionary and he would go to different churches. And one day he went into a church and he felt like there was like no, there was no demonic stuff he sensed. And he went and talked to the pastor and the pastor was like, yeah, I just, I always you know, command anything here before I preach to just leave us alone while we're uh, having our service. And so just to encourage you guys to test that out uh, and just see what would happen. And maybe Jesus, I command any, any ground level spirits in my, uh, in my sanctuary to leave. Don't affect my people or me or this sermon or I try to do anything in Jesus name. And just do that for two or three minutes before you preach. And I uh, see what the Lord might do. Um, encourage uh, you to, to remember that you have authority in Christ, but we don't want to go into battles. We're not called to. Um, so just because you think there could be spiritual warfare component in some, uh, area that you're connected to may not mean the Lord wants you to do anything other than pray. Uh, so I would encourage you to really be sensitive to the Spirit. Ask Him uh, to lead you and to guide you into what He's calling you to do. Um, when you're praying with general demonic attack uh, that isn't dealing with attachment so that there could just be um, you're getting attacked or you're in a place where there's a lot of demonic stuff, I um, would encourage you to, to really be aware um to do that to be to be praying like lord protect us basically levels one through three of those prayers where you're praying for protection you're praying blessings over yourself and over the space you're in and driving away any ground level spirits that could be there this is especially important during heightened sense of spiritual attack so if you're feeling like you're getting attacked a lot uh, if you're moving into uh, a new ministry situation where it would be strategic to be attacked you want to be aware of that Um, also if you're in places where there could be a lot more demons where uh, you're in hotels or airplanes or in uh parts of town that you know there's a lot of uh, dark stuff going it would encourage you to have uh, more of an eye to that and pray uh, into that for example like when I go to into a hotel just shooting real straight with you guys uh, the one of the first things I do in my room is I just drive out anything that is there now I don't I have I think that spiritually I have would and I think I could argue that from scripture I would have authority over that room while I was renting it um, from the hotel Uh, and those demons may come back potentially if they have authority to be there after I leave, but when I walk in, I'm I'm driving away any ground level spirits that are in that room to leave me alone um, in that hotel uh, room. And so I think that kind of concept is is a good one to think about. Um, And we've also seen that people who have a very high anointing, gifting, uh, spiritual gifting, calling on their life are often more susceptible to getting attacked externally. And so just encourage you as you're a room in a room full of pastors, largely you would be in that category of the types of people that the enemy would like to go after. And so I uh, would just encourage you to not uh, be unaware of the enemy's schemes and likelihood uh, to go after you. Uh, and then when we're, when we're dealing with something that is an attachment, that is demonization, uh, that's when we would want to think about something uh, like deliverance, which I'll talk a little bit more about next month uh, and go into a little bit more detail on what I mean by that and how that can look. Um, biblical. So let me uh, end it there and then I'll just uh, spend the next I don't know how much time we have uh, in the next ten minutes or so just doing some any questions that, that stirred up in you and then we'll kind of go from there. Yeah. yeah
1: totally.
0: Yeah, so the question was why to not directly command cosmic level spirits to do anything or to leave? And what could be the repercussions? So um, the repercussions, uh, all I can do is give you anecdotal evidence. Um, I think the scriptural argument is if angels, if archangels don't even do it, then presumably we don't have the authority to do it. We don't We don't see any inst- illustri- uh, instance example of a Christian doing that other than Jesus if you count him engaging with Satan and, and telling him to leave. Um, so that's the that's the groundwork. But we've had a, uh, situations where a guy um, went to the four corners of his city and said, you know, commanded to the spirits that he was taking the city back for Jesus, and they didn't have any authority. And within a few days, he was struck with uh, kidney failure and crazy illnesses, crazy things that the doctors couldn't do, and he ended up dying a few years later. Um, and so, I don't tell you that story to to cause fear. Um, and certainly, the Lord can protect us from our mistakes. Like I, and so, but it, for whatever reason. In that situation, that was what the result was, um, and so because of we don't see any Ill- ins- instance of scripture of being encouraged to do that, and we also see the negative, it just gives us pause and makes us um, ha- think that it's wise to not yeah, yeah. do that. Yeah. What else? Yep. Uh,
1: has the Lord? Uh,
0: Yeah, so the question is, have we ever gotten to pray with anybody who was really faithful with the Lord who also had cancer? Yeah, we have. Um, and we've seen both results. We've seen people healed from cancer um, from it um, miraculously, and we've also seen people not healed. And um, we uh, would attribute that to God's sovereignty, that, um, you know, in Scripture we just see he has a whole, he has reasons for why he He does and allows what he allows. And um, sometimes his glory is most seen through that person suffering well. Um, and then sometimes his glory is most seen by him radically healing them. Um, so- Is there
1: any scripture or a word from the Lord that anyone tells about? Can you think
0: of an example of that? Of someone being healed in scripture? That the Lord used a certain scripture or something to show you how to pray. Oh, that's a good question. So I'm gonna talk a lot more about that because that'd be more of like a deliverance question of like what are what, how we go about commanding demons to leave people. Um, I can talk to you about that offline, but I probably don't want to open that can of worms today since I don't have time to really back dive into it. But we do see a biblical kind of framework for how to command stuff to leave in Scripture through the ministry of Jesus and kind of put piecing together what he did. Um, as far as just scriptures of healing, we see that riddled throughout Scripture. Uh, and we don't see one model of healing. Like if you do these three steps, they'll get healed. Some people would teach something similar to that. Um, we, we would also, some people would teach that because Jesus died on the cross, we are guaranteed healing of all our illnesses. We wouldn't teach that. We wouldn't agree with that. Um, but we do think that he heals. And uh, and we've seen it happen many times in our church and through friends and, and all those things. So um, I don't know if that's helpful, maybe. And we can kind of talk more offline. Yeah. What else?
1: Now, the demonization, how do you see it practically? Is it a whisper? Is it, a, is it an urge? What, what, what is the demon doing?
0: Yeah, so the question is, how does the demonization practically work? How do the demons perpetuate the sin or, or tempt toward it? I mean, I think you see in uh, First or Second Timothy 4, it says that the false teachers were teaching the doctrine of demons, uh, which would imply that the demons were telling them false things in their mind. Uh, we see throughout the uh, scripture the enemy referred to as the tempter. Uh, we see demons causing physical issues in, uh, the, in the Gospels. So I presume that sometimes they just cause the physical issues. How they do that, I don't know. Um, but they're, you know, it could be causing the physical issue, and I, and I believe that they speak lies into our minds that sound like our thoughts, but are just their their lies. And I presume that's how the enemy tempts us. I think they would put the thought into our mind of, hey, you should ter- take another look at that lady that walked by, or, hey, nobody's going to know if you do fill in the blank, you know, that type of thing. Um, and I, and uh, but that's kind of at a base level. But uh, the short answer is I don't know how it all practically works because it doesn't say. But we just can see the result, and so we can kind of backtrack and kind of get a, a feel uh, from some of those passages. So, yeah, good question.
1: Lost demonized people, how do you deal with
0: they're Can a lost demonized person be interested in the gospel? Yeah. Yeah, so the question, is the question, a sen- the question, yeah, so the question essentially is, can a demonized non-believer be set free from the demons? Yeah, if that's a question, yeah, we, you know, there's no, Firm, clear answer that we can see from Scripture. Um, we think that they can in some instances uh, if they're willing to submit to the power of the name of Jesus in that sense. where We see that happen in Africa at times where they're kind of a little bit skeptical, but they're like, Hey, I'm willing to, to trust that you, know, you can pray over me in the name of Jesus. And sometimes that will uh, give the ability for them to be freed. And then oftentimes that can lead into uh, them being more able to receive the gospel and trust Christ. But if they didn't trust Christ, uh, our presumption is that those spirits would come back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. sorry.
1: You mentioned that. uh, Yeah.
0: Yeah. So the question is essentially, it sounds like you're saying, do I see the, the ways that they manifest themselves in Africa or in non-Western countries sometimes happen here? Yes. Yeah. Uh, we definitely do. It's just not the most common way. Right. But yeah, I've seen I've seen people with demons have really crazy strength and do the stuff you'd see in a Hollywood movie. But it's a very small minority of what I've seen. Yeah. Um, whereas when my pastor uh, will go to Africa they'll see it, you know, every time, every trip, they're seeing that happen, and they're, so it just looks different uh, for them, but I think that we often, we see everyday people who are having I- evidence of demonization, but just in the more subtle ways, uh, and so just like in other non-Western contexts that are more power-based cultures, you see it just as common and uh, a lot of times in that way, and you have, like, I mean, you have witch doctors actively working in the community as community leaders, and so there's just, there's a, a lot more uh, of a different context, but yeah, we do see it here, so, yeah. So so is a so question, he, does the Lord allow the demonization to happen? Is that kind of the question? Yeah, w- well, I think theologically everything that happens is ultimately under the Lord's sovereignty. And so um, I, would, I would think that. Um, but I don't think that means if someone has demonization that the Lord also doesn't want them to be freed from it by dealing with it as such. And so um, I wouldn't presume that every situation is exactly the same. Um, there, you know, there are instances where like Paul talks about how he has the thorn in his flesh and he prayed three times for the Lord to remove it. I don't think that was demonization. I think that was more like a Job external attack. But for whatever reason, the Lord was like, no, I'm letting that stay because otherwise you would be you'd get too prideful. So for your own good, I'm going to allow that demon to attack you and make you weaker so that you'll stay humble and ultimately advance my kingdom so I, I think that that is a compa- compartment, a c- category, but I don't think that's the normal category. Paul was seeing visions of heaven, literally. I mean, he was getting, was, had, was, was having all those things. He was writing scripture, and so the level of attack and temptation for pride for him seems uh, strong. I've heard that passage used by people, I think, wrongly to mean that if you've got demon stuff messing with, you, you just need to be content in it like Paul was. I don't think that's true. I think in most instances, if you look in Jesus's ministry, Did he ever not, you know, free somebody of of demonization? You don't see many instances. You see some instances where he just didn't heal everybody. He just kind of had to keep moving. But you don't see him go, no, you need to stay uh, with that. I'm just going to keep that with you, even though you're asking me for freedom. So, uh, again, I don't look at it as a blanket statement, but as a general posture, we we would presume that the Lord would want to bring healing and freedom from the demonic. He may not always heal the physical issue that could be there, but um, from the demonic, we've seen it pretty likely, yeah. Can
1: I offer an additional uh, resource? Yeah. Um, uh, It's called It Is Written, uh, a spiritual warfare workbook. I just finished. I'm the author. Uh, I mentioned 12 weapons. Uh, There are more than 6, more than 7. There are 12 weapons, and I offer practical principles, biblical principles, on how to effectively fight against it. Anyone interested in that? I also have a second. Um, Byr. Um, w- you know, and we get so brainwashed by society telling us that giving explanations that are non-spiritual to um, everything, like addictions and all that. What are you, what are the some common lies? I think you mentioned some of the earlier, but common lies that we're you know that doesn't mean they're not. For things that might
0: be yeah, so what things could be spiritual warfare that our culture typically doesn't ascribe to it? I think the, the one I see the most is just a general blanket statement greater is he who's in me than he's in the world. They'll take that passage and say, therefore, Christians can't be really affected by demons, which I think is just categorically unbiblical and a bad interpretation of that text. And it has caused a lot of pain for people thinking that they're immune to demonic attack just because they're Christians. And uh, so that's the blanket thing. Um, but I think anything. Where you see, like I described at the beginning, where somebody's got a pornography issue that's they've been dealing with, that they've fought all the ways you think um, that people can typically fight that, and they're, they just still can't get freedom. Could be there's a demon there uh, perpetuating that. When you've got the undiagnosed physical stuff that um, you know everybody, every doctor is like, I have no idea what that is, um, you know, and I don't know how to help you, and we've tried everything we can. You're on your own. Um, and then I can, that can, that's often demonization doesn't mean it is it doesn't always be it could just be a medical issue we don't know about yet but um, mm-hmm. that's often the case so i think anytime you're seeing a stronghold that is best you can tell they're faithfully fighting like really are surrendered to the lord and really are fighting it and they're not able to get freedom then there could be a demonic component that's just making it harder on them that if that was gone they'd be able to get over the hump um, that'd be kind of the biggest way um, and i think like i said the biggest thing is just total ignorance of the spiritual realm because of how our culture has conditioned us to, to, to think uh, about it so.
1: Of the cause, and we had an experience with one of our parishioners, live a life in Christ Jesus and all of that, ministering, dance, and everywhere. I mean, travels a lot. However, when we called her in to counsel with her because she had the Lord had of these things to us, and uh, her resolve was we've lost village warfare. Her resolve was. So we don't have to fight. Yeah. And, you know, as my husband shared with her things of that nature, we shared that, you know, wherever the Lord told these uh, people to go in, he's already given them the land. There were some things that had to be done mm-hmm. in order to possess it yeah. and occupy it. And a lot of times I think sometimes out of ignorance and sometimes out of laziness, we become passive and we don't want to take responsibility for our part.
0: Yeah, yeah,
1: that's good.
0: Yeah, I agree. Fun. Yeah, we don't want to over over use God's sovereignty as an excuse for inaction, for sure. That's, that's a good one.
1: One of the things yeah. I say is that uh, the armor is not for us to take uh, fa- uh, selfie pictures with mm-hmm. uh,
0: walk around feeling cute. It's to use to fight them. Yeah. yeah. That's a good point. yeah. <laughs> Any one more question before we wrap up? Okay, let me pray for us, and then I'll be uh, uh, off to the uh, side for a few minutes before we get started here. Uh, and again, next, uh, next month, we'll be going even deeper into what deliverance can look like and um, some really practical steps of fighting. So, God, thank you so much for today. Thanks for these men and women. Thanks for the great questions. Thanks for uh, the privilege of getting to be in your word this morning. I pray that it would be fruitful and helpful. pray that you would block out everything the enemy would uh, try to confuse or distract or um, uh, twist from what I said or anything that I said that wasn't of you, Lord, I pray that they would just forget it (laughs) and uh, pray that just your truth would uh, ring clear. uh, And as uh, these men and women continue to press into your word and uh, by the power of your spirit, that you would uh, show each of us where we need to grow, where we need to be shifted, where you're wanting us to step into, and that we would just be faithful with that. Pray protect all of us in every way. May your hand be on us, uh, protect us, keep us, uh, and give us great love for you. Help us to feel your love uh, at an even deeper level today than we did Uh, any day before. God, we pray that you would just make us faithful uh, warriors in your kingdom for your glory in advance of the name of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thanks, guys.